Today's reading is taken from John chapter one, verses fourteen to eighteen. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, "This is the one I spoke about when I said, 'He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me.'" Out of His fullness we have all received the grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses; grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much,、uh, Lexi, and thank you, Glennis.、Um, could we、uh, once again pray、um, that God would prepare our hearts、um, for His Word? Lord, we give you praise and thanks for Your Word. That it's living and powerful. And Lord,、uh, may the Word、uh, that came、um, to be with us two thousand years ago, Lord, may He be made real again through these words. Help us to、uh, see Your glory and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I wonder what the most glorious thing that you've ever seen in your life is. I on、uh, last Wednesday I asked the staff team, and these were their answers. Sai said when he stepped off the plane and went to Australia and breathed in the fresh air, it they they felt like freedom to him, and that was glorious. Ariel actually had a different answer. When he landed in Hong Kong, he saw the vastness of Hong Kong Airport. He was awed by it. Rhoda gave a different answer. Rhoda said that it's actually this、uh, sukiyaki meal、uh, with wagyu beef. That was just perfection. That was glorious. For me, it was、uh, the, the millions of white dots、um, in the sky in the Florida coast, you know, glowing in the background, radiating、uh, this Milky、uh, Milky Way、uh, in the background. That was to me really glorious. How about you? What's the most glorious thing that you've ever seen? Glory is hard to define. It's one of these things that you think、uh, if you see it, you know it. In the Old Testament, the word glory meant weight, substance. It was the substance of the thing. It's the essence of the thing. It's something that you can't ignore. And when God's glory appeared, it was so dazzling; people couldn't ignore it. The weight of it made people fall down and worship God. God is glorious. He's full of authority and power. His people, when they see it, worship Him. But Christmas shows that that's not the full extent of God's glory. God's glory is revealed in that way, but on Christmas. He says that, that, that there is more than that. We read today: the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of truth. Jesus, Jesus is God's glory. Why Christmas? Because Christmas reveals God's glory. Christmas means God's glory came for all people. God, Christmas reveals the glory of God's grace given to us, and Christmas makes it possible for the glory of this intimate relationship with God. Glory for all 
glory of grace and glory in intimacy. Once again, in the Old and the New Testament, we often look to the sky, to the heavens for glory. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, remember, they announced, they praised God saying, glory to God in the highest of heavens. We see God appearing in the sky in the opening chapters of Ezekiel. Remember that? Uh, supported by this cherubim and these, uh, th- these angels. And God appeared in the form of this indescribable throne, transcendent above us. And so Ezekiel falls down to worship. The lofty places are usually where we find glory. It's the place of that transcendence and perfection. So the proclamation of John in John 1 verse 14 is astonishing because it says that God's glory, that transcendent perfection came down in the form of the flesh. Now God has come down before, right? Uh, In Exodus chapter 40, when the tabernacle is completed, God comes down, God's glory comes down and fills the tabernacle in the form of cloud. And it happens again in 1 Kings 8. But back then, right, this indescribable God's glory was still dignified. It was still separate from us. But here in John 1.14, what it says is that transcendent perfection of God became flesh. It became one of us. It took on human nature to be one of us. He came down, and whoever saw this, this dependent, crying baby, this flesh, was seeing the glory of God. He came to be one of our brothers. He came, he condescended to us, to be with us. God's glory as you know, that, uh, that he made his dwelling among us. It, it's literally he tabernacled among us, right? He, his glory tabernacled in the flesh of Jesus he, to be one of us. And he, his glory could be seen in the lowness of our flesh. But it wasn't just that he came and became, uh, uh, he came and became a human being. He went to the lowest place. When Mary, my wife, was pregnant, we had a chat about where she was going to give birth. Right? In Hong Kong, there are many options. You could give uh, a birth in many of these uh, uh, fine public hospitals. But then there are all these other options. You could go to Union um, in Shatin or St. Teresa or something. You could go all the way to the top. I know the people who give birth in Matilda, right? the, the, the highest place in Hong Kong at the peak. Uh, For us, I mean, our choice was limited by many things, but Jesus really, God really could have chosen any place for his birth. And yet, he chose the manger. That's what he did. He could have announced his birth to anyone in the world, but then he sent the angels to the shepherds, the lowly people out there far away from the halls of power, Right, the farmers out there, that's who he sent to welcome his son into this world. He chose the low place. If you looked uh, for God's glory on Christmas Day uh, to the lofty places, you would have missed it completely because God came to the place of the low in the manger amongst the shepherds. 
And that's how God operated throughout the history, right? He chose the, the youngest, the ugly, the, the prostitutes, the people out there. People, uh, be, uh, uh, God chose them to be his instruments, vehicles of his plan. And the message is clear. Message is that God is God for all people. God came to love all people. No one is outside of being God's plan and God's people. God's glory will be shared for all, by all people. He came for everyone. And I hope that this change changes how you look at the world. It might be a strange thing, but, you know, uh, this past week or a couple weeks ago, uh, my old church, All Souls, announced its new rector. Uh, it's the it's senior pastor of the church. Uh, all Souls has some historical weight and, so it, and considered an important uh, church uh, in evangelical circles. So many people were watching to see, closely watching to see who was going to be appointed. And when this person was appointed, there was some chatter um, on the Internet about, you know, who this person was. But as I was listening to this, as I was reading these uh, responses, the thought came to my mind. I thought, why? Why is there some church that's more important than others? Why is that? Why do we talk about this in this way? I'm not naive, of course. There are some more influential and bigger churches right, that, has, that have sort of outsized influence. I know that's true in Hong Kong, maybe St. John's or St. Uh, Andrews. I mean, these are big churches with big influence. But what Christmas shows is that these are not the only place where God is at work. God's glory is revealed God's glory is revealed wherever God is and wherever God's people are, right? And that is at St. John's and St. Andrew's, but all churches. And that is also where, where the, the housewives are, uh, where, you know, in Shek Moon, um, up there, Jackie Pullinger still working with uh, the drug addicts. God's glory is being revealed there. God's glory is being revealed in the subdivided flats of Hong Kong. Everywhere where God's people are, everywhere where God is at work, that's where God's glory is being revealed. So, friends, where do you look? Where do you look? For God's glory? Is it just in the high, lofty places in Central, in Admiralty, or, or is it also in Shamshipo, in other places? Because the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. But we don't always look uh, to the low places, to the ordinary places, of course, because that's not where we find glory often. That's not where we find perfection. In fact, in the low, and bro- uh, low uh, ordinary places, that's where we find brokenness. That's where we find uh, uh, things that, that, are, that are ugly, things that are not uh, worthy. But once again, what Christmas reveals is that God's glory shines even more brightly in those places because glory of God is glory of grace. It's grace being poured out, fixing and mending, giving things that we do not deserve. So verses 16 and 17. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Giving of the law was a glorious moment. Remember when Moses received the law and he came down from the mountain, his face shone 
right? He was glorious. He became glorious, having received the law that represented God and God's perfection, God's nature. And rightly so. I once invited uh, a, family, uh, a family member to church. And he looked at me sheepishly, uh, saying, Hugh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of going to church. I'm too sinful. If you know who I am, you wouldn't invite me. Well, I know that that's how we often feel. And, you know, that's not, that's not all bad because God's glory is, you know, we feel, uh, we feel unworthy of being in God's presence because God is so holy and perfect. But Christmas shows that God came into the brokenness of the world. That's where he shines even brighter because he gives us the gift of grace. And that's what this verse says. Uh, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And if we think about it, that we, we, uh, that's why the most glorious place, the place that reveals the weight and substance of who God truly is, the fullness of God, is the cross. Especially in the, in the Gospel of John. Before Jesus went to the cross, this is what he prayed. He famously prayed uh, this high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And that's, this is how the prayer starts. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. This is about the cross. You know, in the Synoptic Gospels, um, Jesus prays for this cup of wrath to be taken away from him. In the Gospel of John, what John wants to highlight is actually, even though that was really, really difficult for him, actually this is the moment of God's glory. When Jesus is lifted up high above on the cross, that's the place where we see the fullness of God, God's perfection, God's holiness, God's justice, but also his grace, his love. And that is the substance of God. That is the fullness of God. That's, that's where Jesus is most, God is most glorified. You see, when John writes that he has seen God's glory, he doesn't just mean that he saw Jesus being transfigured, dazzling white on that Mount of Transfiguration. And that is glorious, of course. But what he really means in the Gospel of John is that he has seen Jesus die on the cross. That he has seen the substance, the essence of God on the cross. He has seen his glory and love that compelled him to die for us. And we know that. We know that because many of you wear these crosses right, a cross necklace or or whatever, this gruesome symbol of execution, place of execution, execution has become the glorious symbol of God's love for us. And And we are a people then who wear the mark of that grace because we're brought together as God's people. We're mended by the grace that God gives us and pours out for us on the cross. There's a Japanese art philosophy called um, Kintsugi, 
when a pottery sh- shatters uh, under this philosophy, they're not thrown away. In fact, uh, they are mended together with lacquer, dusted with gold and silver and, and platinum and other valuable things. The flaws are not hidden away um, in, the, in this philosophy. It's actually highlighted. It's highlighted, and actually then the, uh, the, the thing is made even more beautiful because of the way, because of the flaws, and because of the grace that has been given um, to, uh, uh, to, to this You see, marks of God's glory is in all of us. And that's why Christians are not ashamed of our flaws, of our weaknesses. Christians can point to them and say, this is how God has worked in my life. This is how God is at work in my life. Because he came and he showered his grace upon us and how he has transformed us. His grace shines even more brighter. Through his grace. But this means, of course, that in order to be God's people, we need to recognize our need for God's grace. Uh, This past week, Tim Keller posted uh, in Instagram, Christmas is telling you that you couldn't get uh, get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. Whoever sees the Jesus on the manger and goes, well, that's not for me won't be able to receive that grace. Whoever sees the cross and go, well, that can't possibly be for me, cannot receive God's grace. The law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's who God is, God of love and grace. And that's how we are able to celebrate this Christmas. That's what we're celebrating Christmas, because grace, he came to give us that grace. And not only will that uh, uh, grace forgive us, it will then give us a relationship that is glorious, uh, that Trinitarian intimacy of, of, of God the Father and the Son. So we read in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but, this one, uh, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with God the Father and has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but God has made him known. Jesus is uniquely qualified, of course, to reveal God himself because he is God himself. But not only that, but because of his position in the Trinity, he's in the closest relationship with the Father. It's actually literally what it says is Jesus is in the Father's bosom. Father's bosom. Of course, God the Father doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a bosom. What does that mean then for Jesus to be in his bosom? Well, it means that he he and God the Father and the Son are sort of intertwined together as one. There's so much so that Jesus can say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He is in that eternal Trinitarian embrace, that love of God. And this Christmas... I want to ask, who can you have in your bosom? In other words, who can you cuddle with? Who can you cuddle with? Could you imagine going down to Shatin Park or something, sitting next to uh, 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 somebody on the bench and sort of sidling, sidling towards a stranger and trying to cuddle that person? What would happen? You'd be kicked out, you'd be punched or whatever, right? It's weird, that's not supposed to happen. Well, try that with your best friend. 
best friend, you try to cuddle with this, uh, your best friend, you try to have him in your bosom, what would happen? Well, most likely he would probably kick you out too, because that's weird. <laughs> the only relationship in my life that allows me to do this is my family with Mary, Barney, and Corey, and I plan to cuddle with them as much as I can, as long as they will let me. But I am close to my children, to Corey and, and, and Barney, but I am not one with them. Mary and I, you know, we are one together, but not in the same way as God the Father and the Son are. Uh, and here's the thing. Uh, uh, Jesus, Jesus, God the Father and the Son are in this one eternal, loving embrace. They're one together. And on Christmas, God the Son came down um, to invite all of us into that loving embrace. God the Father is made known in the biblical sense of knowing, in that intimate relationship uh, that He has with God the Father and the Son. You might not see this fully in this verse, in, in chapter 1, verse 18. But once again, if we go back to the high priestly prayer in uh, John chapter 17, you might see this a bit more clearly. Because he says, uh, he prays, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I have given them the glory that you, that, that they may be one as we are one in complete unity. That's what God came to give us, that Trinitarian unity. You see, that's what Christmas is all about. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh, took on humanity, took on human nature so that we can be part of him, that we can be embraced and loved by God the Father in that eternal embrace, that we would be invited to in that kind of intimacy. And there is a disciple in the Gospel of John, uh, unnamed. His name, he's just called the Beloved Disciple. And later on in chapter 13, and the, uh, the scene of the Last Supper, he is seen reclining, reclining next to Jesus. Actually, um, it's literally, it's at Jesus' bosom. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him at his bosom. Perhaps that's why he remains unnamed. He's just simply called the beloved disciple because that's supposed to be all of us. We are beloved. We are people who are called to be his disciples. We are people who are invited to be in Jesus Christ so that we would be embraced by God the Father. We would share in that loving Trinitarian love that goes on for eternity. A while back, I was talking to a church member who um, asked me why we were created. I don't have a very good answer for that. I hope uh, she's listening um, to this right now because this passage answers that question. Why were we created? We're created to be loved by God, to be loved by God in that eternal embrace. And this person was having this uh, trouble with this concept because she thought, well, when I look at the world, there's so much suffering, so much death, so much evil in this world. I don't know if, if it was worth it to, to be created, to go through all of this. But Jesus knew, having experienced that 
outpouring of love. The father, having received it and having loved him, he knew that it was worth it. Sometimes when I hug Barney tightly, when I hold uh, Corey in my arm, one arm and Barney uh, in my other arm, uh, there, is, there is this a joy that comes to overwhelm me. And I think I'm just so happy because I love them so much. And I think at that moment, you know, whatever it is, this is worth it. This, this moment is worth all the, the, the things, all the bad things that I'm going through, that I will go through. This is, this is worth it. And that's not just, uh, in, in, that, that's just in loving Barney or loving Corey, right? Uh, being, um, if you're on the other end of receiving that, that outpouring of love, I'm sure you would feel that it is all worth it. And you see, that's just a tiny fraction. That love that I described from my children, it's just a tiny little fraction of the eternal love that we will experience between God the Father and the Son, not just for fleeting moments, but for eternity. And when we are restored in that perfect relationship, when we love God as we should, and we're loved by Him as, as He will, I'm sure we'll look back at this earth, all the things of this earth, and go, "What? that was totally worth it. Because that's what we're made for. What's the most glorious thing that you've ever seen? These glorious things make life worth living. But you could have everything in this Christmas. You could have the sense of freedom, Wagyu beef in front of you, uh, the stars uh, in the background or whatever. But even as you have all of those things, I am sure your heart will long for even more because we're made for this eternal loving relationship with God. We will all long for that perfect love and that's what God came to give us to all of us. And he took on our nature to die for us, to shower upon that grace for us so that we might be embraced. We might have access to that intimacy, the eternal love of God the Father and the Son. That is glorious. And I hope you'll know that this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us, loving all of us. We thank you for taking on the human nature to become one of us, to redeem us, to restore us, to make us glorious. And Lord, we pray now that we would know the, the fullness of God's love, for your love for us that we might have a, a sense of that, uh, that, that eternal, the fullness of your love for us. Lord, may this Christmas, those of us who don't yet know this love, may they invite you into their life and, and for them to come to know you fully. And in this Christmas, may all of us know uh, just a tiny uh, bit of, of the fullness of your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.